All right, everyone, ladies and gentlemen included, it is that time once again. We are broadcasting live from a secure bunker deep beneath an old steak and ale restaurant. It's the Thanksgiving episode of Tavern Voices. I'm your host, Kevin King, and with me, as always, is our other host and my competitive turkey carving partner, Tyler Crawley. How's it going, man? Oh, man, it's going. Speaking of turkeys, you see... uh our favorite governor did the uh, first ever North Carolina uh, turkey pardon. I did. I did indeed. And I'm going to get to that later. Oh. I have I have some deep thoughts on 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 how the turkey pardoning tradition is going to play out. So just hang in there for that. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm already on the edge of my seat already. Um, all right. So speaking of being on the edge of our seat, we are still waiting for the election results, which you would think. I don't know what almost two, three weeks since the election that we would have them. But no, we're still getting everything certified, at least on the East Coast. It seems like we've gotten everything figured out across the state. And of course, like I said, mostly on the East Coast. But here's the interesting thing. Despite having a pretty amazing midterm, the Democrats continue to whine about gerrymandering, apparently flipping almost 40 seats um, isn't enough. And because they didn't flip any in North Carolina, then there's really something wrong. And their reason The popular vote. They love to bring up the popular vote because, see, in North Carolina, the GOP won 51 percent of the vote, but controls 70 percent, 76 percent of the congressional seats. This is outrageous unless, of course, you compare it to a state like New Jersey, where Democrats won 60 percent of the vote and control 92 percent of the congressional seats. And it's odd that we never hear about the far more egregious gerrymandering in New Jersey, North Carolina. There's a lawsuit, but not New Jersey. So, Kevin. Gerrymandering has been around since the founding of this country. Maybe North Carolina Democrats want to flip the second district, or if they want to, they should spend a little less time fighting gerrymandering and more time recruiting non-horrible candidates like Linda Coleman. Well, yes, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I don't know who this Jerry guy is, but he's causing an (laughs) awful lot of problems for the Republicans. And you're exactly right. I'm when I think about this whole gerrymandering conversation, it reminds me of my friend Pete Callender's quote that he puts on Twitter all the time about fair and independent judiciary branch really means Democrat control of the judiciary branch. And I think that's this conversation. It's okay for Democrats to control an entire, you know, like 92% of the Jersey congressional seats because obviously that's what the will of the people is. That's what they want. If if someone votes Republican, they were confused or they were coaxed into it. Um, I mean, isn't that the narrative the left keeps using? Women who voted for Republicans are actually uh, just doing what their husbands tell them to do. That, because people wouldn't naturally vote Republican. So obviously any seats won by Republicans are due to gerrymandering or unfair pressures and outside influence, uh, money in elections and so on. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's very funny because, yeah, I like that, that uh, uh, Peter Callender quote because – yeah, he's right. Uh, the Democrats, whenever, you know, like New Jersey, for example, because the, the big concern, the News and Observer talked about this, others talked about this, was the 20 point uh, efficiency gap. That's the new uh, f- buzzword for Democrats. It apparently was some model they used, I believe, in Wisconsin. And what it does, it looks at every percentage over 50 percent that a certain party got. And then it shows, you know, how efficient uh, the redistricting or the districting is. And so because there was a 26 point difference in North Carolina, oh man, horrible, absolutely horrible. But as I pointed out, 
there's a 30 point difference over 30 point difference in New Jersey that nobody talks about. We hear about Maryland and we hear about that's always the example they give. In fact, the Republicans have sued in Maryland to get those changed. But actually, Maryland's not as bad is New Jersey, and nobody talks about that state. Now, I do also want to say that just a reminder, you know, you mentioned Jerry, that the phrase did actually come from Massachusetts in the early 1800s, where someone was joking about how the maps were beneficial to the uh, governor's party that was in power, and uh, his name was Elbridge Jerry. So it's, it wasn't even his first name. I would have thought it was his first name, but it's actually his last name. And that, they said it looked like a salamander, and then someone said it looks like a gerrymander. And so that's where that so that, that that phrase came from in the, the early 1800s, and just now it's become a problem for the Democrats. But yeah, the only reason they want a, a unbiased, fair districting process is in the states where they're losing, and that's North Carolina. And I think Ohio, maybe they've made the argument, but in places like New Jersey and Maryland, where the Democrats control almost all of the seats, and they flipped, I think, four, three or four in New Jersey, and you know, no one is talking about New Jersey. It's still all we hear is North Carolina, Ohio, and it's because Republicans have done well. And the only reason they want a fair map is because it'll help them. You don't hear one single Democrat saying, man, it's really unfair how many seats we have in New Jersey, because you're right, they think it's the will of the people. Well, here's a fun fact. Did you know that Lake Norman near Charlotte is actually named after the person's first name? I always assumed that it was so and such and such Norman. That's that's what it would be named after. But the guy's name was like, you know, Norman Smith or something. <laughs> so that's your 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 free tidbit on on strange names uh, getting stuck. Yeah, he must have been really popular because they're like, we're going to call that Lake Norman and everyone's going to know which Norman we're talking about. That's that's some confidence they had in whoever that guy was. He must have been pretty important. But on on a serious note, I did want to bring up two points about the efficiency gap because there are going to be some people listening. And you you pointed out exactly where they talk about this idea that there are leftover votes, that it should essentially be 50% plus one vote would be perfect efficiency in a district. But I actually think that's the worst idea possible for districts because what happens is that one of two things happens. One is, is that 49.9% of people are never represented, no matter what. That's awful, in my opinion. I mean, that's that's if you and your neighbor, you go down the street and every other person is not represented by their, their congressman, I think that's a big problem. The second thing is, is that if it's really that close of a plus one vote, then all it takes is, is one small news story every year, right? A small wave, one direction or the other, and you flip the entire uh, you know, the entire house, right? Because if it's 50 plus one, you have a Republican year, you might lose 150 seats or the Democrats might pick up 150 seats. And then you're just always switching in and out different parties and nothing gets done that I don't think that's representative either. So what I think we need are 0% efficiency uh, districts where 100% of a district votes Democrat because then they're actually truly represented. Don't you think that's a better idea? You know, what's really interesting is I just thought of this right now while we're recording this is that the Republicans kind of going along with what you're just saying should actually probably get behind fair redistricting because it's very weird. The Democrats are making a big deal out of this because the one thing that we've seen we saw in this election, we're continuing to see is the cities in every state are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're just, and and, and they're going to get more and more seats. I mean, that's how things are decided by population. And so the cities get bigger and bigger and bigger and the cities are 
more and more Democrat is that over time, just by the way that geography is setting up, these larger areas and larger states are going to have a majority of the congressional seats because the congressional seats do change based on population. And so I don't know how long, but not too far based on the way things are going, the Democrats are going to have almost a monopoly on house elections. And so you'd think that they'd want to keep it this way because I mean, they're going to have control forever. If the the data continues this way and Republicans stop fighting in, in cities. And so they're just going to get more and more congressional. I mean, we saw it here in North Carolina. I mean, you look at the areas where we lost seats. Where were they? Major cities, Wake, Mecklenburg, uh, even here in Wilmington. And so the bigger cities that are bluer are going to continue to get bigger and bigger and pick up more seats. And the Democrats should probably actually, if they were smart, just wait this out because in 10, 20 or 30 years, all of the congressional seats are going to be either in cities or on the outskirts of cities, which they seem to have on lock. So if they were smart, they'd probably shut up about this because they're about to get paid with regard to congressional seats if they just stay quiet. Yeah, I think you're right. And maybe one episode we could talk about the concept I've been seeing a lot around Twitter and the uh, the interwebs about the idea of adding seats to the House. Yeah. And I think it's a pretty cool idea, but I, we would have to uh, go way more in depth on that. But instead, what I do want to talk about right now is another industry in which the Democrats have uh, pretty much complete control, and that is the media. So I know that you've seen this, Tyler, because you retweeted it, but on the CBS Sunday morning show Face the Nation this week, Congressman-elect Dan Crenshaw faced off with a panel of leftists over how President Trump is, quote, undermining critical freedoms. He politely asked them for an example, and they all scoff and speak over each other. They say, quote, it's literally an attack on the press, to which Crenshaw replies, Quote, oh, I've literally been attacked. Let's choose our words carefully. He then also points out how Obama had members of the press under investigation, had been spying on their phones. He asked why Trump can't exercise his own free speech while they're talking about free speech. Uh, You know, it goes on and on. And it's some great television. If you haven't seen it, you got to check it out. Tyler, is Dan Crenshaw, who is a former Navy SEAL and all around American hero, just what the right has been missing all along? Yeah, I think he should be the uh, presidential nominee in uh, 2020. I'd be okay with that. No, it's really interesting. 100% agree. 100%. (laughs) What's interesting is that, so this is someone who's essentially been elevated by the very liberal media that, you know, we attack pretty frequently. And it's almost like it backfired on him because you had that whole, I mean, the reason most people know his name is because on SNL, uh, Pete Davidson attacked him for you know his eye patch, and then he went back on the show, and they had was like this great moment where Pete Davidson apologized, and at the same time, Dan Crenshaw also talked about all the heroes, including Pete Davidson's father who died in nine eleven attacks, and so it was this really cool moment, and it showed that wow, this is the kind of Republican that we need, and even the way he responded on that show, because what he did is precisely what I think Kevin, you and I do. Which is, and the one thing that there's nothing that makes me angrier at the press than when they make me defend Donald Trump, because I don't like defending Donald Trump. I don't like a lot of the things Donald Trump does, but they go so overboard in their attacks on Trump. They make me defend him. And Dan Crenshaw is in that same group where Dan Crenshaw has in the past criticized Donald Trump's rhetoric and his style. And he even brought that up uh, during on that CBS uh, roundtable. 
But he defended Donald Trump in pointing out that you guys are making allegations against him that are not true and you're actually hurting your own argument. This is something that for some reason the left and the right love to do, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, for example. Like there are so many reasons to attack her. And yet last week, some Republican idiot decided to attack her clothes. And it's like, why are you attacking that? Like, there's so many legitimate reasons to attack her. Like, she doesn't know the three branches of government or she doesn't seem to understand how Congress works or know anything about government. And she's now a congresswoman. That's what you attack her for, not because her clothes look like they cost more than something that she, you know, you buy at Goodwill. I mean, that seemed to be the attack. Like, oh, she's not struggling because her, her suit matches. Like, that's not a reason to attack her. And the same thing happens where they go after Donald Trump. Like, he's, you know, trying to ruin democracy. Um, not any more than any other president we've had recently, but there are legitimate things to attack Donald Trump for, like some of the dumb comments he makes about like breaking brush or something. What was his argument recently? I can't remember what it was, but they're just, it's hard to keep up sometimes. And so what drives me nuts, and that's exactly what Dan Crenshaw was doing, was he was like, listen, I get you guys don't like Donald Trump, but the argument that you're making is ridiculous. And he's not a threat to democracy any more than Barack Obama was. And in fact, Barack Obama attacked the press in a much more substantial way that was threatening the press by literally going after them, you know, calling them names and saying that they're you know stupid and they're bad people is not as bad as actually le- is actually going after them with regards to a um, legal battle. I mean, like trying to put him in prison and suing them. That's far bigger attack. Uh, on, on on individual journalists and the companies they work for. And yet the press, to some extent, didn't seem to care when Obama did it, but get far more upset at nicknames and um, insults, which on the grand scheme of things don't mean much. I, I completely agree. And what's uh, I wanted to ask, how did you know that's exactly what I was going to talk about, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, <laughs> before I switched stories last minute? That was exactly the narrative I was going with is there are so many things to attack her on. And in fact, I actually started to like her more over the last week when she was protesting in Nancy Pelosi's yeah. office. I mean, I, I disagree with why she was protesting, but anybody who protests Pelosi is a friend of mine. I don't, you know, so if, if she needs some some money to go shopping at Goodwill or something, I'm, I'm all for it. And I, I agree. I think that was a, a stupid thing to go after her on. And um, even some of the other things that people choose to attack her on, um, you know, are kind of nonsensical because she gives you enough of of her own, uh, you know, ammunition against her. I mean, I mean these substance. videos coming attack out. Attack her on substance. Yeah, because, I mean, she's producing her own selfie videos explaining how um, – you know, explaining how she doesn't understand the three branches of government, right? That's that's all the the ammunition that we need. I, you know, it's it's funny because that clip, which was making the rounds on the internet this morning, because I played it on my radio show, was with the best thing about it is she corrected herself. She goes, um, the two branches uh, or the three branches of government, uh, and I can't remember what it was. I can't remember what she said, but she said she said something, and then went, oh no no no, I mean the presidency, the Senate. And the Congress. <laughs> That's the three. So it was like she corrected herself and was still wrong. That was my favorite part of the clip was that she said something wrong and went, oh, wait, never mind. And like laughed and then said, and then said it wrong again in a different way. And I mean, that's what you attack her for. You don't attack her because her suit matches. And the thing is, is that when they do that, it then makes other attacks look just as frivolous. So when you like, there's a substantive attack 
were like, no, this is really bad because she obviously doesn't know. I mean, and once again, I still think that she was confused. I think she was trying to say the uh, I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt here. But I think she maybe was trying to say the three elected, um, you know, chambers of government, because obviously judicial at the federal level are not elected. So I'm guessing that's what she was saying about fighting in 2020. But. Yeah, that's also why and this is the argument, uh, I think, as to why most candidates are so canned is that and I know this from personal experience because I do a three hour radio show off the cuff. You say dumb stuff just because that's just what happens. I mean, you can't be perfect all the time. And so when you're constantly videoing yourself and doing these Instagram videos, you're going to say a lot of dumb stuff. That's why most people don't do it. And that's why there's so much material on her. But we should use that. Use that Use that against her. It's, it's, it's a strength and a weakness because, you know, it connects her to the voter. But it's a weakness because she said so much dumb stuff, as anyone would, that talks that much. But especially her because she seems to have even less knowledge than the average uh, congressional member. Oh, I completely agree, Tyler. All right. Well, speaking of stupid people, we're going to talk about a group of stupid people who apparently have all gotten together in uh, very close to where you are or where you're from, Kevin, in Asheville, because cases of chicken pox have been multiplying at the Asheville Waldorf School, which, by the way, I should say sounds so elitist. I love it, uh, which serves children from nursery school to sixth grade in Asheville, North Carolina. About a dozen infections grew to 28 at the beginning of the month. By Friday, there were 36, this all according to the Asheville Citizen Times. The outbreak ranks as the state's worst since the chickenpox vaccine became available more than 20 years ago. And the school apparently is a symbol of this small but strong movement against the most effective means of preventing the spread of infectious diseases. The percentage of children under two uh, or under two years old, I should say, who haven't received any vaccines has quadrupled since 2001. This all according to a new report from the CDC. Kevin, the far left and the far right came together last week against Amazon and Senna's. I was very happy about that. We were just talking about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It's one of the first times I ever agreed with her. However, this is another example of the far left and the far right agreeing. Kevin, doesn't this sort of prove that bipartisanship isn't always a good thing? Yeah, may- maybe. I don't, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it, it, this is one of those like really, really strange positions because I'm very torn. First of all, I mean, I was vaccinated. I think you should vaccinate. I have a problem with government mandating anything, especially when you're talking about chemical concoctions, right? I mean, what happens if, I mean, we've seen what the, what happens when the government mandates any sort of medical uh, apparatus, whether it be, um, you know, all the, what was the stuff they did here in North Carolina? Um, Eugenics? Yeah, the eugenics. And then you had the Tuskegee, you know, experiments yeah. and stuff. So, like, I, I understand, you know, I, I'm, I'm never going to be the proponent of saying the government needs to make people do anything medicinally. But at the same time, how are you not going to do the smart, responsible thing? Right. Because, I mean, even um, what's her name? Jenny McCarthy came out and said that <laughs> vaccines don't cause autism. And she was the big proponent of, of the, uh, it t- of it the took her autism enough, aspect. Though. It took her long. I mean, she started it. Her and Oprah started that mess and spread it. I mean, this is one of those things where everyone talks about like how amazing Oprah is. There's a lot of things that Oprah spread on her dumb show uh, that it wasn't just like, oh, housewives reading books. She like spread a lot of really bad science like Matt Couch. She got sued by farmers, you know, um, uh, I don't know, 
cow farmers is that what you call them i don't know what you call people that raise cows uh, <laughs> cow, cow, cow cattle farmers? farmers that's what it is and they sued her because she spread and i think she ended up winning but the fact that i mean it, it, it went to trial i mean there was i mean there was enough evidence there that, that she could have gotten in trouble for that uh she spread the stupid vaccine i mean she spread a lot of things and you can't say oh well it was in the it was the news gathering because you, know, you can't make that argument. I mean, you had one person on there advocating one side. You didn't have both sides on there. And so this was spread by Jenny McCarthy and other stupid celebrities, other people that know nothing about science. And I agree with you on the government forcing people to do things. Completely agree. The issue that I have, and this is what drives me nuts, is that the the uh, forced vaccinations are solely if you want to go to private sc- or, or public school. There's nothing that says you have to get your kid vaccinated unless you want to send them to public school. Then you have to get them vaccinated. And I 100% agree because you do not have the right to a free education. So if you want to take advantage of that, there are certain things you have to abide by. We make kids act a certain way. You can't act any way you want. You have to listen to what the teachers tell you to do. So there are, there are requirements. And if you don't abide by those, then you don't get the free education that, that we offer as taxpayers. And so I have no problem. With the government of the state, United States, whatever, saying if you want the benefit, it's kind of like when you put requirements on food stamps or housing or whatever. If you want the free stuff, then you got to abide by the rules. Otherwise, you don't get it. And so if you want to send your kid to a private school, which is what's happening here, uh, that's fine. But if you want to go to a public school, then or and let's say in this case, the school is demanding vaccines. Well, I guess they are, but they have religious exemptions, which they're taking advantage of. And I think there also needs to be and here's the big problem is that the religious exemptions, because a lot of these people that take the religious exemption, the religious exemption is like crazy. Like we're from the church of crazy. Like they're, they have, they don't actually believe a religion, but they just claim like some bizarro holistic, you know, you know, hippie liberal religion. And they use that as the example. And so I don't know how you deal with that because that's a religious freedom issue, but I'm a hundred percent okay with the government demanding that if you want to go to public school, you have to get vaccinated. Otherwise, you don't get the benefits of it. Well, I would almost argue in North Carolina, you do have a right to public education. That That is sort of constitutionally guaranteed. So yeah, but maybe put, but they cannot require you. But I mean, a right is not unlimited. I mean, we know that with the Second Amendment, you don't have the right to own a tank. So you can put restrictions on that right and say, okay, if you want to own a gun, then you have to give us your name. You have to do all these things. So there, I don't see that. False. What? False. I object. I object. You can. Oh, you know. You cannot you know, require me to. You don't like Antonin Scalia? Okay, cool. I know where you stand now. <laughs> yeah, was, I'm to the right of Scalia. What you want to do about that it? This is a famous line where he said, "You know, rights are not unlimited." With 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 regards to the DC versus Heller decision, he still ruled that what DC was doing was was um, beyond the scope, and so therefore it was illegal. But um, I think you can put certain restrictions on and we do that with voting right i mean if you're a felon you can't vote and so i think if you're not vaccinated um so maybe what i should say is that you do have a right to an education but you don't have an unlimited right where you can follow certain regulations and i think we would agree that vaccinations could qualify as a basic um uh, requirement in order to take advantage of that right that we offer well, let me play devil's advocate here and say, but just the fact that you are in the general public, I mean, if you go to a grocery store and you are unvaccinated and then you make, because even people who are vaccinated are not necessarily 100% immune, right? True. I mean, it's all about the, the statistical advantage. You want to have well, as many the, people vaccinated yes, as possible. And it, right. So 
But but let's say that you, you don't go to a public school, you don't get vaccinated, you go to the grocery store, and then the 5% of people who are going to be susceptible to it, even though they've been vaccinated, you get them sick and they die. I mean, isn't that the whole point of uh, the collective value of society that you can make people do something as long as it's in the benefit of the, the well-being of the general public? So you're saying – but I mean, here's my question is that could you, so let's say you don't get vaccinated and then it turns out you're a carrier of some infectious disease and then you give it to someone who can't get back. Cause the, the reason a lot of people don't get vaccinated besides like the religious exemption is there are some people who just, who can't get immune to something. And so they're susceptible to it uh, or their body has an immunity or whatever it is, but they just can't for some reason get take advantage of that. And so the, the, that way the herd effect takes over and the more people that are vaccinated, the less likely they are to catch it. So I'm wondering is let's say you don't get vaccinated. You go to a you go to a grocery store. That's private, but you're out in public, and someone there gets sick because of you. Is there legal recourse because you chose not to get vaccinated and are therefore carrying something into public, and then got somebody sick? I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know if that's ever happened. Um, and so, but I think if that was, I think if that was a possibility, that could also be something that would incentivize people to get vaccinated. Because if they carried something and gave it to someone, you could be um, in danger of a lawsuit um, or I don't, mean, I don't think criminal charges, but let's say they were able to sue you. Uh, maybe that would be a incentive for people to well, even, get vaccinated. Yeah, even more than that, what I was getting at is isn't that the argument for forced vaccinations, right? Isn't that what it's going to get to the point of is saying you have to 100 percent, no exception, no exemption must be vaccinated for X, Y, and Z just because you are a member of the general public. Yeah. I, but I don't think anywhere does that though. I don't think anywhere has forced no. vaccinations. It will. But I don't I, know I, if I think. you can though. I mean, I really do. I, I just, I don't know. I, you know, the greater good argument. I just don't know if there's actually a legal constitutional argument for, cause this is the whole Obamacare thing, right? You can't, force somebody to do something just for being alive. And that's where Obamacare really kind of, you know, broke that barrier where we taxed people because they weren't buying health insurance. So maybe that's what we'll end up doing. That if you don't get vaccinated, then you have to pay a fine or a, a penalty. And every year you're not vaccinated, you have to pay that penalty until you finally get vaccinated. I could see that. I mean, that's, that's sort of the basis for Obamacare. And so I could see or that happening. Or we have a no-vax registry and then you don't get to participate in, you know, I mean, ima imagine they do that. Yeah. You have to be authorized by your healthcare provider that you have been vaccinated or you can't fly on an airplane. You can't travel outside of the country. You can't do X, Y, and Z. I mean, we already do that a little bit with, uh, with travel, right? I mean, if you're going to go to certain countries, you have to have... Uh, certain vaccinations. So I could, I could see that happening. That, and that's where I'm saying that obviously there's that slippery slope of saying, should people be forced to do something where at the same time, I'm saying, use your common sense, well, get vaccinated. Yeah. Don't have your children die of chicken pox at your elitist uh, <laughs> <a> Waldorf <laughs> school. Well, it, right. Yeah, I mean, and, and what's so funny to me is that this whole anti-vaccine, because we're seeing a rise in, you know, things like the measles and, you know, whooping cough and all these things that supposedly had been, you know, wiped off the planet. Uh, I mean, luckily, polio hasn't come back. But, I mean, these horrible diseases. And there's a great there's a great um, uh, show that Penn and Teller did where they talked about the vaccinations. That even if they did cause autism, it would still be better to vaccinate your child because – 
you know, the percentage of that happening is so small versus the likelihood of them getting one of these diseases that could kill them is so much greater that it would still make sense. I mean, and it's great because they're like, it doesn't, but if it did, then you should still vaccinate your child, but it doesn't. But even if it did, <laughs> it's like they keep trying to make that point. And so, I, you know, you look at sort of vaccinations um, and you look at what's happening with regards to um, uh, forcing someone, you know, to have to get vaccinated. And I just, I, like I said, it, it, I, I think the model going back to it's better for somebody to get vaccinated versus, like I said, not getting vaccinated. The problem that you're going to run into is the religious freedom argument, because that's what really this is all about, is people claiming religious freedom. And so you're going to have people who are going to you know, support. Um, and that, this is where you have the right and left dichotomy, very bizarre sort of circumstance, because you have some, you know, like say Trump Republicans who are blaming this this rise of all these diseases on immigrants coming into the country. But the problem is, is that no one would be getting infected if we vaccinated. And yet, if you look at Trump Republicans, they're very supportive of religious uh, freedom. And so it's sort of everything is kind of colliding. And I don't know where we're going to end up with regards to one day having forced vaccinations, because most of the vaccinations don't happen because of religious freedom arguments, which the right is a huge supporter of. And so I don't see how they we find a happy medium there because that's something that people will fight till the end on. So I don't know. I just I don't I don't see how we we, we say okay, well we're going to allow religious freedom. That doesn't matter in this case because that's that's a very terrifying slippery slope. Oh, I I completely agree, and that's why I, I wanted to to finish up on another story of common ground. Because I think that's really been – I think that's the underlying theme of this episode, Tyler, really. It's yeah. it's finding the middle ground. So on Wednesday of last week, the Joint Government Ops Committee of the North Carolina General Assembly voted to hire a special counsel to investigate Roy Cooper's Atlantic Coast Pipeline slush fund. And I mean, surely we all remember the sudden appearance of $57.8 million in the governor's bank account earlier this year. Although it is never explicitly stated in this ever so fairly written News and Observer article, this was actually reached with bipartisan support in the committee. I was listening in that day because apparently that's what I do. But <laughs> even though the Republicans have already dissolved this fund and they set the money aside for schools that are along the path of the pipeline, which I thought, you know, everybody says Republicans hate education. Well, here's $60 million that they threw towards it. I'm just throwing that out there. I, for one, am glad to hear of this pending investigation. Tyler, do you think that Ray Cooper was just acting in the best interest of the people by setting up this fund? Or was he just following the long-held North Carolina Democrat tradition of corruption? Oh, I definitely would say B. B would be my answer on that one. Uh, because remember, that the <laughs> that was supposed to be his money. <laughs> he didn't want that money going anywhere else. So if you would have given it right to the schools or given it to something else, then yeah, he cares about the people. But him setting up his own personal slush fund, I think, automatically opens the door for questioning. And the fact that he's been so quiet, not that he's not quiet on pretty much everything, but it is it's all corruption i mean that's that's what it is now I, I don't know if it's corruption in the fact that it's illegal uh because you know that that's that's sort of a gray area but uh he definitely took that money for his own benefit 
so he could give it out. Because we know that, right? We know there's nothing politicians love more than showing up at the openings of something or doing something with a big check with their name on it. Look at this money I'm giving you. It's not their money. It's the taxpayer's money. Or in this case, it was this oil con- or this whatever, gr- this conglomerate's money. And there's nothing they love more than doing that because it makes them look awesome. We know that Ray Cooper loves giving out, uh, you know, incentives to whether it's film companies or it's, you know, giant billion dollar companies because he can show up and cut the ribbon and go, look how great I am. So yeah, that money was entirely for his benefit and his party's benefit. And any other argument, I just don't see where you get that from. Yeah. I mean, why else was the fund specifically set up where he was in charge of the money or someone he delegated? And of course, he immediately retracted when the the story came out and said, oh, well, we were going to use it for X, Y, and Z, but there was no uh, assurances that that was actually going to happen. And earlier in the show, Tyler, I promised that we would talk a little bit about the turkey pardon. Yeah, and this is this is where it comes into play. So speaking of corruption, speaking of corruption, no, <laughs> I, I don't think the turkeys have not been vaccinated. I think they're they're organic and whatnot. So that's but why we're killing them. That's why we're killing them because they might d- spread some horrible disease. That we're just going to eat them on Thursday. I think is why we're <laughs> killing them. Um, but here's my theory. So I think what what could happen. This I'm not saying this is going to happen, but it could happen. As people may or may not be aware, Governor Cooper this year started the first ever turkey pardon here in the state of North Carolina. What I think is going to happen is the special prosecutor might find some wrongdoing in this. Roy Cooper is going to get indicted. Okay, he's going to get in trouble. He might go to prison. We're going to uh, they'll probably appoint a new Democrat governor to take his place. And then next year, Roy Cooper will be the turkey that is pardoned. (laughs) <laughs> i've been saving that all day and that was a very mild laugh that was very mild <laughs> after all these years you could have faked it you could have faked well, it here, here, here's the problem because um i'd heard that because someone joked last year that paul manafort it's going to be really awkward when Paul Manafort shows up dressed like a turkey for the turkey party. <laughs> so, so I heard. So I feel bad because, like, I kind of, I kind of, uh, um, I kind of heard it before, but not in this, not in well, this, te- not in this way. I mean, I obviously teed up the easy joke. I'm not saying there was a lot of originality, but yeah. So I mean, it's it's come on, come on. This is real, Kevin. This is a real podcast. I can't fake laugh. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be right. It's it, it wouldn't be genuine of you. It would not That's be. Right. Yeah, I understand. I so, understand. But I, but I, I do think it, I, like I said, I, I, I do think it's funny that if someone would do that one day, <laughs> like, like someone should do that as a joke. Like, would it be funny if like someone that Donald Trump had, I mean, the problem is it's such a serious matter that no one could like, if Paul Manafort did show up like a turkey, people would be like out or like, are you kidding me? Um, but if it, I, I do think it's, it's, uh, it's just what a waste of time that governor, I mean, I think it's a waste of time when the president does it. I think did Reagan started? I think Reagan started, didn't he? Yeah, I think it's a very Reagan thing to do, yeah. to be honest. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it it just to me seems just like so dumb at this point. <laughs> and and now our governor is starting it. But like, listen, anything that keeps Roy Cooper from doing anything of substance because he's so bad at that, I'm okay. So if that keeps him out of the executive mansion in his office long enough that he can't screw anything up, then I guess I'd rather him be partying, uh, pardoning turkeys than trying to recruit companies in North Carolina. Or partying with turkeys. Either way, 
He could. I would like that. He could pardon them, party with them. Anything as long <laughs> as he. Well, what do you do after you after you pardon someone? You throw a party, like yeah. So that's so, they, so. Those turkeys, what do they do? They just live out their lives in old age. Do they never get killed for food? I, to be honest, I have not followed it that thoroughly. That sounds like a Wikipedia but, question to me. I know. Cause I mean, I was just wondering, I mean, like, I kind of feel like it's like a wink nod and then we're like, all right, we're actually going to kill you. We're just joking around. But do they actually live out? I mean, I don't know how long the turkeys actually live. I mean, is it that much of a burden for the farms to keep them alive instead of killing them? Maybe there's a turkey rescue somewhere, and the original turkey that Reagan parted <laughs> is just living his grand old life with a glass of scotch and a cigar on some ranch in Wyoming. Well, he better be worried because John Hinckley just got out. Did you see that? <laughs> no, I did John not. John Hinckley just finally has been living with his mom. and Because one of the things people don't realize, John Hinckley's parents were like kind of wealthy, and so he's been like living with his mom in like somewhere in like Virginia, and I guess he's finally no longer has to be under her supervision. And so, if I was that turkey, I'd be I'd be a little concerned. No kidding. Well, isn't our isn't 2018 just turning out to be the strangest year? Hinkley's out. <sighs> I can't. Roy wait. Cooper is pardoning turkeys. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't wait for 2019. It cannot get here soon enough. That's all I'm saying. Well, you know what will be here soon, Tyler? Our post Thanksgiving episode next week. So, what That's do you right. say we uh, we eat plenty of food and find things to be thankful for, and then come complain about them next week on the podcast? I agree. I'm thankful that this episode is over. <laughs> <laughs> well, like we said, you're always honest. 